solo and group clinicians alike are buzzing about Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals. With live customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and an extensive feature library, Therapy Notes is sure to streamline your workflow, giving you time to care more and worry less. Try them for two months free using promo code MODERN today. Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with my partner, Katie Vernoy, and we are joined today by Megan Costello. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in the Los Angeles area. And really, I'm excited about this because there are the clients that we have been taught through all of our trainings who come into our office, they sit down, they talk with us for an hour, and they go and function on their own just perfectly for a week, and then they come back and repeat as necessary. Megan's here to talk about those who don't fit that model, the non-traditional clients, the ones who have some other pressing needs that might come up, and she's going to tell us all about her model of going out into the community, bringing in some other ideas and practices. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. We are so excited to have you. And as we always do, we want to ask, who are you and what are you putting out in the world? So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in solo private practice. And what I do is in-home behavioral psychotherapy with high needs and non-traditional clients. I like to call myself a person-centered behaviorist. So I'm really coming from a place of trying to take this powerful science of applied behavior analysis and merge it with the person-centered relational aspects of psychotherapy. So I don't have a BCBA. I worked for a long time as a behaviorist before I became an LMFT. And I'm just really passionate about helping therapists take this really powerful tool and bring it into their private practice, and also in helping behaviorists understand how they can use some of our counseling techniques and some of the relational strengths that therapists have and bring that into their practice. I just, I want us to talk to each other. (laughs) I also worked in behavior analysis for a number of years. On my way to becoming licensed, I also chose not to pursue a BCBA, so kind of knowing exactly where you're coming from. How did you come up with this idea of continuing with kind of that ABA model of meeting clients out in the community or meeting them at their homes as a big feature of your practice? Because I know for me, I like it a lot more when people come to me. That it makes scheduling (laughs) easier. It makes a, a number of things easier, but I'm kind of curious about your thought process as far as how you continue to develop this into a model. Yeah, well, you know, I think because I'm from an ABA model, I'm like super results driven. And I really just want to see the client make the most possible progress in the least amount of time. And then also in the least invasive way. And for me, that combo was just going to the home, right? Like, 
it's clear that especially with young kids, and now we're showing with lots of diverse populations that home-based services are really the gold standard. It's the best way to get information. It doesn't matter if it's super convenient for me. That's not really the goal, is it? It's not to make a therapy <laughs> convenient for the therapist. It's to make therapy effective for the client. So that when I started really just being sort of relentlessly client centered and results oriented. I really, the practices just kind of flowed from that place of even in community mental health, I found like, I felt a little bit blindfolded working with people in the office because even when they explain to you their situation, you just learn a lot more when you go there and you see it. Like someone telling you my house is really loud and small and there's no quiet place. You're like, okay. Then you show up at the house and you understand, oh, it's like, 12 people are living here. There really is no quiet place. There's a screaming baby. The neighbors are fighting all the time and super loud. You have a new level of empathy. So it's just, there were so many benefits. It seemed like who cares about the cost? (laughs) Well, and I guess to me, the gold standard part, that's not something I've necessarily heard. So I'd love to hear more about that. Like who has kind of set this gold standard? What makes in-home therapy a gold standard for treatment for kids? Well, with a, well, with kids, I mean, they're just showing more and more that like home-based therapy is great, but with ABA, we've always done it this way because you're providing a large number of hours. And with children with autism, they really struggle with generalization. That is, they struggle with learning a skill in one environment and then moving that skill to a new environment. So that would mean you need to go to the home to teach the skill in the environment where the skill is most likely to be needed, right? Or if they need school skills, you need to go to the school. So the gold standard thing comes from saying like, it's important to meet a child where they are, especially one with a developmental disability, because we know generalization is a challenge in treatment programming and planning. It's also now being used more often with like postpartum and prepartum moms. So they're seeing a lot of efficacy with reducing rates of postpartum depression when home visits are incorporated in postpartum care, not necessarily therapy visits, but visits from a lactation consultant or a nurse. So we really are starting to see like there's something about going to the home that really helps clients. And more and more, like the research is just pointing us toward meeting clients more in their environment than bringing them to our office. I know that there's probably a couple of analysts who are listening to this and just having an inner sort of screaming match of, but that doesn't allow for them to expose what they want to expose and let the defenses come out naturally. And Wondering, you know, also if there is a certain level of when you do go into somebody's environment, if it does bring out a different type of defense mechanism as far as how they either give up previously engaged behaviors or previous engaged habits that are what you are addressing that you wouldn't necessarily see when somebody is, you know, going to your space, going to your office. Listen, if you're doing office-based therapy with a client and it's working great for them, I don't think you need to change anything. You've clearly figured out what's working, right? It's these are, there are clients though, for whom that's not working. It never really worked and they can't even imagine it working. They'll never even go to a therapist's office if they have to go every week. It's just too hard. It's just too scary. It's just too weird. Nobody they know even does that. It just, (laughs) for some of them, it feels much easier to be like, open their door and say like, Hey, you want to come in and you know, have a glass of water and sit and chat with me. It it is true that like the home environment changes the defensiveness. If you're an analyst, then the, the idea of the frame of treatment being like in the therapist's office and being able to project onto like a neutral person, that's really important to your model. That's why I'm not an analyst. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I practice in a different way and I treat different problems and I have so much respect for analysts. In fact, my own personal therapist is psychodynamic. So I have a huge amount of respect for the work and the progress that they can make with clients. I think they bring something so important, but there are other clients who aren't being helped. I just want to help them. Yeah. And so if we're looking at when you go into the home, what are the benefits kind of more specifically digging into the benefits of being in the home that you see with the specific clients that you work with? Sure. Well, I work with kids and I just feel like, especially with kids, the home is a dream environment. You really, first of all, kids are most comfortable in their home. That is just the reality. (laughs) They struggle with going to the office because it's stigmatizing because it's different and their families often struggle with the idea of bringing them to therapy. Like realistically in Los Angeles, there are barriers to adding another thing to a child's day. So one, I actually find it opens up scheduling significantly for kids like their home and it's easier to get them at home than it is to get them to have the hour for therapy, the 30 minutes to drive there and the 30 minutes to drive home. And then also that other kids can't be present. So that creates like a challenge for caregivers. So one, I find more availability. Two is that when the problem, when I go to the home, I can see the problem right in its natural environment where it's happening. Sometimes the solution is super easy. It's like, move the desk to the other side of the room. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't need therapy. We need interior design. <laughs> like, it's So that is to me, like, that's a winner right there. The idea yeah. Behavior right in the environment and just make some simple, quick fixes that might solve the problem. Um, and the third one is like the siblings and the other family members are kind of around and present. And so, if I really want suddenly to work with a kid on like a sibling issue, they're like, oh, I just keep fighting with my brother all the time. I'm like, Is your brother home? <laughs> Let's play some Uno. <laughs> See how that goes. So, it's really allows me to be so flexible to just meet the client right where they are right in that moment. And I think that's such a win. I but you have to drive. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was going to bring up the same thing. Uh, <laughs> I want to go back to the point of, you know, saving this time for driving and especially for a lot of high needs or resistant kids of the fight to get into the car in addition to the drive to get there. This now is time out of your schedule that mm-hmm. you're not able to fill in other people. I have a couple of questions on this. One is how do you adjust for that as far as your fee structure goes? And mm-hmm. two, what is the impact that it has on you not kind of having your centering space in between sessions that's your kind of controlled environment? That's, those are just such great questions. Um, first of all, with the fees, like, yep. <laughs> yeah, I cannot see as many kids as other people can see. Arguably, I shouldn't because I see higher needs kids. So it really doesn't make sense to have a caseload of 35 high needs cases. You really need to manage 10, 12, maybe 14 high needs cases because these are kids that require support outside of the one hour therapy. So they need parent calls. You need to be talking to the speech therapist, the occupational therapist, the teacher, the psychiatrist, the pediatrician. Like I can give you the list of people I have to talk to for my clients. I charge, my fee is not cheap. I'm not affordable to everybody. This is a specialized service for people who have failed out of other therapies. Oftentimes on the third or the fourth therapist a family is working with, they're at a point of just desperation. They can't even get their kid to get in the car to go to therapy anymore without having a huge fight. Everyone in the family's life is being impacted. Parents are you know, at the verge of divorce and mental breakdowns, each individually (laughs) Mm -hmm. because of how hard and painful this is for families. 
So the money is a, it's a challenge. You know, it does mean that I'm limited in who I can work with. I hope someday insurance companies and in general will begin to like change their reimbursement structures and make this something I can offer to more people. So I just have to charge a lot. That's the short <laughs> answer to your question. And I, it's, I'm sure it's not going to be super popular. <laughs> Notes not only combines billing, scheduling, and notes into one easy-to-use software, they now also offer group telehealth, up to 15 clients in a group session at a time, and secure messaging features. And with their 24-7 customer service, they're ready to assist you no matter where your practice takes you. Therapy Notes allows you to do it all. Whether you're a solo clinician or part of a group practice, you'll have all the tools for success at your fingertips with Therapy Notes. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So the other part of my question being, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, having the, having my space, having my desk in between clients to just kind of go and not have to carry everything around in my car, (laughs) be able to kind of leave some space behind, have, you know, my work stuff stay at work. And I'm wondering, you know, part of why I moved out of doing the ABA work was like, I want to have my own centered space. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. how you deal with kind of the emotional impact of like, okay, you're constantly in other people's space. This is constantly not your central zone. Right. It is hard. This is something you have to adjust to and it can be a deal breaker for some therapists. But again, I go back to is therapy meant to be comfortable for the therapist or meant to be effective for the client? It is hard. (laughs) This is not an easy way to work for you as a therapist. It is effective. You do charge for the fact that this is hard on. That's incorporated into my fee. I give myself 10 or 15 minutes in between clients. So I leave one client, I drive, and then I try to have 10 or 15 minutes where I park kind of around the corner where the kid can't see me. Don't park where a kid can see you. (laughs) I get that at you. And I actually will sit in my back seat and I have, I will like, I set up my little desk if I need to, I have, you know, my favorite snacks. I keep my favorite beverages on hand. Like I have made my car a sanctuary. You can do it. It's possible. Like you can get mindful and you can meditate anywhere. So some of it is just being open to like, it's a challenge. Can I meditate in the backseat of my car? Can I find Zen here? walking on this block three blocks away from my client's house. Sure. Can I stop at a park in between clients and eat my lunch sitting on a bench? Yeah. These are the like ways that I work around that issue. I also have a very organized trunk. I should show you it. Um, my clients <laughs> sometimes call it the toy store. <laughs> They're like, can we go to the toy store? <laughs> because I keep a lot of supplies in there so that I don't have to deal with day to day, like taking things out, figuring out what I do or don't need. I just kind of keep a kit. And if I know a kid has a special certain need, then I plan for that. But otherwise, I just kind of rely on what's in the kit. And I tell kids, if you want something that's not in the kit this week, I'll bring it for you next week. And then I set a reminder on my phone in front of them (laughs) to model for them that we need help remembering things too. (laughs) We'll uh, post a picture of Megan's trunk uh, show notes. (laughs) Uh, you'll if find those at mtsgpodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've got you've got the 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 amazing trunk, the magical trunk store. Yeah. 
Um, you've got like your, Mary Poppins. <laughs> your back seat that is the meditation center. You've you've got your your uh, your drive plans. So you have ten or fifteen minutes, but the scheduling oh. is, I'm sure, a nightmare. How did you straighten out your scheduling? Okay. So first I had to create regions. I live in Los Angeles and saying like, I treat all of Los Angeles is not reasonable. If you live in a small town, you may not need to do this, but I regionalized pretty quickly and I had to start getting strict, like telling parents, if you live in Santa Monica, I can only see you on Monday or Tuesday. That's it. I'm sorry. That's the only times I have. Yeah. I'm happy to provide other support between the Monday and Tuesday time slots, but that's what I do. So the scheduling was hard. You can find great programs and softwares out there. Katie like really helped me out with this. Um, <laughs> I started using Acuity. Acuity, like if you really get in there and you work with all of the different parameters that they allow you to set and you really start thinking about it from like, okay, I have to solve this puzzle. You can set up Acuity in such a way that your clients could <gasps> self-schedule oh my and God. control your drive. <laughs> <laughs> I used some software and then eventually I just hired an assistant because this work is time consuming and I felt like scheduling and dealing with that piece of my practice was tiring me out and it was making me almost feel a little bit resentful of the clinical work. So getting like another person in the middle there really helped me. Now, I don't have the overhead of an office, so it's very easy for me to add administrative support. That is where what I, what other people would pay in rent, that's where that money goes for me. And in addition to doing my scheduling, she does a bunch of other stuff. So that's also a win. Yeah. And I would imagine if this, the automation or the assistant got you scheduled more efficiently, you might even increase your income. Yeah, absolutely. And she, that is exactly what happened, Katie. I got more efficient. And honestly, I was... There are times when at the end of a day, a client's like, can we reschedule? And I would just frankly be so tired that I would be like, no, I don't have any other openings. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing more scheduling Kung Fu tonight. It's not happening. When I got an assistant, that's like, okay, let's see what we can do. So she was actually able to take on a lot of like appointments where they needed a reschedule. And I would have been like, I can't accommodate that. She was able to say like, I do plenty of scheduling Kung Fu and have lots of energy. So I will <laughs> solve this puzzle for you. You come from a behavioral background, which is not mm -hmm. taught in basically any MFT program. So there's, there's kind of a theoretical difference that you're already bringing out there. You also bring this kind of human centered aspect to it, but what kinds of possibilities are there as far as a theory-driven community practice? Because I, I know that a lot of community mental health has has moved into delivering this that does focus on some of those CBT behavioral end of things, I'm, I'm certain of. But really wondering what the possibilities for our listenership is. Do you have to just do ABA-type work in this situation, or is there more options there? There's plenty other of options. I do not really do very much straight traditional ABA. If a behaviorist, a BCBA came in and looked at one of my treatment plans, they'd be like, this is not behavioral. You're not <laughs> taking enough data. Where are your graphs? Like what is going on here? So it's not really just ABA work. I do a lot of CBT. There are some things that I don't think are super appropriate for processing in the home setting. Like I would not want to work with someone in on trauma like severe trauma or doing trauma processing or doing an exposure protocol around their trauma in the home. That might 
I might be like worried about that. I would really want to assess whether the home is the right setting for that. But there's a lot of space between behavioral interventions and deep trauma work that you can do a lot with social skills, communication patterns. Like so often I even found this in my own therapy. You go into the therapist's office. It's like you become your best self. You're like, here I am, my best therapy self. I'm ready to work, ready to think about me, ready to you know, change. You get home. It's much harder to be in that mindset. It's much harder to be in that space. If you have a therapist who comes to you at your home, maybe that helps you actually get into the mindset of regularly shifting into a growth mindset into like, I want to change things in your own home, which is actually the place where you need to have that mindset the most, right? Why that to me feels like there's so much you can do around that. Even like when I worked with couples in the home, which I've done as well, it's like sometimes you get to really see how the argument plays out. Like it's not like in the therapist room where she just like looks away at the couch. She gets up and walks to the kitchen. Like That's something you won't know necessarily and you won't see how it plays out and you won't see in real time how the other partner reacts to that rejection it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to just see it play out. So I think there's so much more than ABA that you can do in the home. Well, I think it it really speaks to a power differential that actually switches the other way. Because I think obviously in more of an expert, I guess you can come in as an expert. And I think oftentimes that's the role that it sounds like you're playing with, you know, kind of let me look at the home, let's do some redecorating, let's do, you know, whatever, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff. But I think there's this other aspect for, for some folks in looking at what kind of treatment models, it would have to be one where you really are able to meet on a common ground versus this is my space. This is, I, you know, the power is in my corner because this is my office. I know the room. I, you know, that kind of stuff. People are letting you in their home. They're wandering away to the kitchen, you know, like, or, or stomping away to the kitchen. And so to me, it seems like it really, like you would have to assess the appropriateness, like you talked about, but you'd also have to assess how that fits into your treatment model. Are you able and willing to go, you know, literally onto their turf, not just philosophically into their, their world, like you're literally going into their world. And I think, especially some of the more blank slate kind of models that wouldn't be appropriate, but most models it would. And I actually, when I was working in community mental health, I actually did do trauma work and desensitization in the home. You have to really be aware because I think depending on who they are, what's going on, it, you know, like all of the therapy was happening in the home and a lot of it was deep trauma. And some of it was, I can't leave my house because I'm too panicked. And so it's like, okay, well, let's go take a walk together, you know? So I, I think that there's a lot of possibilities and I think I I like this idea of being able to, to get in there. But the thing that I kept experience when, when I was in community mental health is kind of this confidentiality issue. Mm. Like, you know, if they walk into the other room and potentially bring someone in, or if another family member decides today is the day I'm going to undermine my siblings therapy by trying to invite my friend over, like, I mean, like there's, there's a lot of unknown. So you're not even just literally going into their space and, and kind of dealing with the client, there's all the other people. So how do you navigate that? Cause it seems to me like that would be a huge issue. And I think the reason why a lot of people yeah. balk at community work is because of the confidentiality. Of course. And I mean, here's the thing, like the confidentiality between you and your therapist and your ability to have privacy in your sessions is extremely important. And 
foundational almost, I think, to making some of these deeper emotional changes. It is not necessarily to make more simple behavioral changes. Mm -hmm. Take, for example, like personal training. Do you, do you have to have confidentiality for a personal trainer to tell you like, you need to do 10 reps, not five. (laughs) It's, it's not that deep. Like, Hey, we need to move the desk to the other side of the room because here you can see the TV and that's distracting. And over there you can't see the TV. So that would be better. I don't necessarily feel like that requires like a deep level of confidentiality. And in fact, confidentiality in that setting almost makes it harder because then the person might feel like, oh, I should be embarrassed that I need and feel stigmatized that I need this like accommodation when it's really should be just very matter of fact and obvious. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is like, I work with kids. So I talk to the parents extensively about why confidentiality is so important in therapy, what I'm trying to do with their kid and why they they have to personally decide within themselves that they're willing to give their child the space to have a private conversation with an adult who wants to help them process their feelings. Every parent is tempted to eavesdrop on therapy. I used to have parents that try to sit right outside the door. I'm like, I know you're pushing your ear up to the door trying to hear what you're saying right now. You have to just talk to them about like, they need to provide this. They need to respect this. And they need to talk to the siblings about why therapy is something that's one-on-one. Here's one of the interesting things that I will do sometimes if I have like a very cushy, nosy sibling, I will just play with them for five minutes at the beginning of the session. I will tell the kid, Hey, I'm here. Um, I'm going to be ready to hang. Are you ready to hang out now? And usually they're like, no, I'm playing my video game or no, I'm doing this. I'm like, cool. So in five minutes we'll start. And until then, let me take little Sally and we'll play a quick game of memory. So that younger sibling, their need for attention from me is satiated before I begin the session with the child. That reduces the motivation for that younger sibling to come and interrupt our session in order to get my attention. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Do you end up getting consent and kind of signatures and all that kind of stuff just to kind of make sure that the family is all included in treatment? There's, I mean, I treat the one child and in the family or the children in the family that need support individually, but I definitely conceptualize what I do as family work. Everybody needs to agree. Everybody needs to understand what treatment is going to be about. And everybody needs to make a commitment to change because the reality is no child is responsible for the problems really that they have. They come from the environment. They are learned and maintained by the environment and the family and the parents control the environment. 
So who's really going to be responsible to make the change? The parents. Yeah. They got to get on board. (laughs) A question that's come up for me as I've been listening to you is how do you assess for safety? Because I imagine, especially with new clients that you might have some broad ideas of the part of the city that you're going to, but going into somebody's environment for the first time, or if there's Mm -hmm. issues around, uh, you know, behaviorally acting out in dangerous ways that my office, I know where stuff is. I know Mm -hmm. where, which drawers that I definitely don't want somebody running over to and finding the scissors as you're in somebody's environment, if these are issues that are coming up, what are the mm-hmm. kinds of things that you're looking out for? How do you know like when to nope out of there? <laughs> um, well, honestly, this is less of a problem now that I have a higher rate and I only work primarily work with people of a certain socioeconomic status. I don't worry so much about safety in the neighborhood um, because of my rates, which make it sort of prohibitive. In community mental health, that was a bigger issue. And I definitely just did a bunch, I had a bunch of steps I went through to make sure that I felt like the environment was safe. I always told clients like, this is a one-time thing to make sure this is going to work out. And then we'll see where we go from there. I do a lot of assessment over the phone initially before I go to the home. So I will ask like, do you have a quiet place in the home where you, where your child and I can meet? Talk to me about any aggressive behaviors. Has your child ever thrown any items? Have they ever gone for a weapon or a sharp object? And quite frankly, we should be asking this anyway, even if they're coming to our office. Sometimes we don't because we get complacent about safety. Going into the home makes me like go through a checklist of safety things. And that's exactly what I do. I just assess and ask a lot of questions. And then typically if there's a safety risk, like, oh yeah, sometimes my kid gets really mad and runs for the knives. Um, we need to get rid of the knives well before I come in there. (laughs) You probably should have the knives there right now. Actually, let's pause this conversation. Go lock up your knives. Like, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times, like by cut, because I am going into the home, I actually feel like I do more safety planning and assessment than the average therapist. And that helps my clients because that puts them, they're thinking about that. I'm asking things like your child's eloping from the home. Is the room where you want us to work next to the front door? Do you have a lock that's like high enough that they couldn't unlock it if they're like running into the street? You know, I just want to make sure your child is safe and that I'm safe. A lot of times this is an easy way into these conversations that can be more difficult too because it's a sensitive parenting topic, whether or not a parent keeps their child safe. Sure. Well, and I think it, it sounds to me like you're also really modeling good boundaries and starting the conversation, even in the initial assessment or the initial consultation around how parents can look at things a bit differently. You mentioned that you include parent coaching kind of calls or consulting calls in the, the therapy. What does that include and how often do you get pushback from parents for actually completing those calls? Okay. It's a mixed bag on that. Some most parents are like super excited and happy and they are so on board because they have felt in the past that their other therapists were very distant from them. Like their child's therapist put up a wall between them and the child. And so they're really excited about the chance that they're going to get to talk with their kid's therapist. Like what they think is going to happen is that I'm going to like debrief them moment by moment. <laughs> happen in a therapy session. Typically they're a little disappointed when they find out that is not what's going to happen, <laughs> but they do have an opportunity and a place to express their concerns about therapy. 
also not in front of the child. Yeah. Sometimes parents are just want an opportunity to kind of run down a laundry list of complaints about their child, some of which are really not even relevant. And I kind of want to like put the parent in their place, like, hey, let's have developmentally appropriate expectations here. I don't want to do that in front of a kid. I don't want a kid to hear their parents' 10 like lists of 10 things they did wrong that week. That's really detrimental. Mm-hmm. And we should be focusing on the positives and praise and that kind of thing. So the structure is 30 minutes a week. Most parents are excited and they do it and they don't complain. And if they miss a week, they want to know how they can make the week up and they're really on board and committed. We get really fast results because of that. Mm-hmm. For parents who are not on board, because I don't charge them any extra for this, because this is just wrapped into what I consider to be a weekly treatment session, 60 minutes of face-to-face, 30 minutes on the phone, collateral time with parent, caregiver, teacher. If they choose not to participate and I feel their participation, their lack of participation is interfering with progress and treatment, that becomes a way for me to potentially discharge the client because now they are out of compliance with the treatment plan, which clearly says you need to participate in these parent phone calls. You need to do the parent training. This is like a trick I learned from ABA where the insurance companies mandate that parents participate in parent training. So if they're not doing it and the behaviorist doesn't have data, the insurance company is not going to continue to provide the service. It's very simple. It's like, look, they're not going to pay for this anymore (laughs) unless you do this. I get to say, listen, I'm not going to, I don't say it like this, but this is what I feel. I'm not going to continue to collude with you, the parent, to make your child the identified patient when you will not make the changes that are necessary Mm -hmm. to help your child get better. So I take a hard line. I imagine that these kinds of services, uh, it's something where once your name gets known that you build up, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that you are doing this kind of on your own right now. How do you scale up this type of practice? Because if you were going to develop into, you know, a, a traditional group practice type situation, you have people come into your space when you're not working and you you know, run some of the admin stuff, but you're in such a completely different world that what would growth steps for a business like yours really look like? TBD, Kurt. (laughs) 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 Um, I'll get back to you. I, I, this has like been a challenge for me as an entrepreneur and as a small business owner is, is how, how do I grow this practice? I don't have um, a burning desire to manage other therapists um, or to run a business. I have a burning desire to continue to help children and their families. So I don't know that I will ever try to grow clinically beyond what I do, which is like just me doing my thing. If I grow the business, it might be to provide parent workshops and training, online courses for parents, and then maybe helping to consult with other therapists about how they could implement this in their practice, how they could take training them to do what I do on their own. Only because what I've learned from listening to your podcast and listening to so many other wonderful podcasts and just immersing myself in the business of being in private practice is eventually when you run a group practice, you kind of outgrow clinical work. It's almost a necessity. And I'm just, I'm not interested. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a pure clinician, (laughs) which is why it's important for me to charge high rates, right? Because I'm not going to grow into like making profit off other people's work. I'm not 
I'm not trying to monetize on a larger scale. I'm just trying to get what I think is a reasonable salary for the type of work that I do, which is intensive and hard and requires me to make sacrifices. Our guest today is Megan Costello. She's a marriage and family therapist in the Los Angeles area. Where can people find out more about you, Megan? You can go to my website, which is megcostello.com, and you can find out more about my practice. I have a consultation page there, so I'm happy to speak with any therapists who are sort of debating with home-based therapy, thinking about how they could maybe break out of the traditional psychotherapy model, whether it's by including collateral sessions or working in the community. You can find me on Therapist in Private Practice, where I'm like a very prominent poster. I'm there all the time. (laughs) procrastinating by Facebooking and you can feel free to reach out to me via email. I, I really love helping other therapists. So, And you can see Megan at the therapy reimagined 2019 conference presented by simple practice here in the Los Angeles area in October. We are so excited to have her as one of our speakers and Woo-hoo! being able to share this kind of space with our audience and you can always come and join us in our Facebook group, The Modern Therapist Group. And until next time, I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy and Megan Costello. Thank you for listening to The Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, use promo code MODERN for two free months. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.